Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au.
3CR, 855am, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand. Lots of ways to listen to Out of the Pan, a show covering um, pansexual issues, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. 3CR proudly broadcasts from the lands of the Wurundjeri people and we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging and any First Nations people, well, we'll say listening in and I might say in a similar, in a way also, also possibly present. Come to that in a second. <laughs> Lots of ways to get in touch with the show if you want to um, have a question or a, got to be said, a query on this show. Um, out of the pan 855 at gmail.com. You can SMS 61456751215. You can tweet at Sal Gold said so. Look for the post on Facebook. Um, out of the pan, 3CR 855 AM Melbourne and my page. And um, I'm Sally Golden. I'm your host for the hour. And my pronouns used are she, her. Well, um, it's a, in those immortal words, it is a packed program today. Um, opening it up um, with Richard Clapton from his most recent um, full new studio album, Some Sunny Day. It's a bit sunny and a bit cloudy out here in um, climate diverse Melbourne. But it's guest diversity today. Um, one on the phone and one in the studio. Um, first up, Stacey, welcome you here in the studio. Thank you so much, Sally. It's really, truly my honour. I'm so glad to meet you finally. Oh, look, a pleasure. And even just chatting before the show, it's um, it's an equal pleasure. And equally um, on the line is Kian. Um, and Kian, thanks for um, sort of being with us as well. Oh, yes. Thank you for having me today. Look, a pleasure, and we'll check in. I've given my pronouns as she, her. Kian, yours are, if you use any? Uh, my pronouns are generally they, them, but on certain days I'll also use he, him, or she, her. Depending on where we are, fluidity is a what perfectly okay thing, and diversity and intersectionality are good things too, <laughs> which are going to be massive themes with um, both of you today, and Stacey, um, your pronouns. I generally go by she, her, but I occasionally feel a bit themish. You know, I have my days. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, bi- hashtag binary busters on the show today. <laughs> um, there's so much to cover. Um, I, I don't know why I bothered to schedule other tracks, to be honest, <laughs> because between the two of you, there's so much. Um, Stacey, a bit of a a potted background, so we'll do an executive summary each first to get us underway and see where it all goes. <laughs> that sounds lovely. Would you like me to tell you a little bit about what I do to help out with marginalised people? Yep, tell tell a bit about that and sort of your um, and how your background um, sort of in a few ways fits in with that. Sure. So first of all, one thing that we just talked about, which I think is a really relevant quote to bring up, which is you know, advocacy in silence isn't advocacy. So it's great that we all want change, but without actually spending the time to create environments where that change can become normalized, it simply doesn't happen. So I like to spend my time uh, after my professional career. I'm currently a carer. My partner has MS, has had MS for about 25 years, and she and I spend our time working with partnerships with City of Melbourne, University of Melbourne RoboGals, um, Swinburne Tinkers Guild, all sorts of different places, getting marginalized people, particularly women and youth, Mm -hmm. into technical spaces where generally they would not feel welcome 
and they would be gatekeeped almost by their own self-perception that I don't, you know, girls don't do that or mm. non-binary people don't do that or disabled people or people with differing abilities, whatever way you like to call yourself. We don't do that because it, it, there's there's a sense of the language that almost keeps you out of it. It seems like it's an impossible thing. So we break down the language and start with basics and find out that um, technical spaces actually can be quite welcoming for almost anybody if you allow the language to be uh, used in a way, even pronouns, perfect example. How do you allow people to be who they are by simply being inclusive with the way that you use language? So, for example, and I'll stop here after this, I teach rocket science um, to, I've done it for several years. I was the vice president of Melbourne Amateur Rocketry Society for a while. And one of the ways we got in all different sorts of people, and I'm saying, you know, gender, queer, any type you can imagine, Mm -hmm. we had them all. And I sought them out and I would say, can you use a hot glue gun, sandpaper, and tie not and they're like yep i can do that it's craft i said yes that's right all of the technical spaces are craft based universities started as craft guilds it is craft and if you know it's craft and you perceive it as craft you can walk in there and have a mentorship experience with someone who is more open to you because you're looking at it uh equally with a a shared language as opposed to a technical language that scares people off so that's what i do Good way of communicating. Ken, um, um, a bit of an overview from yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a creative writer predominantly. I'm also an emerging actor, uh, currently working on a TV script with a trans woman who's in sports named Emily Fox. Uh-huh. Um, I'm very passionate about that uh, diverse representation within media and within different types of media, so about real-life people being represented in news stories and on the radio and in newspapers, as well as in creative work, so in TV shows, in movies, just having casual representation of Mm -hmm. diversity. Yeah, just having it there everywhere, just, you know, sort of as part of the fabric, so people go, oh, there's someone like me. So there's sort of, um, you know, some common um, threads emerging here already, which is so awesome. Um, And, well, you write things, but I've got to say, Ken, um, um, get get my admiration out of the way, you're also a bit of an on-screener yourself on a few occasions. (laughs) Yeah, so I've done a couple of things now with the Escape Velocity Project, which also ties in a bit with that rocket science. Cool. (laughs) Ah, yes. I love it. Um, yeah, so that's about... Do you want to explain the concept of escaping velocity? Yeah, go for it. Dive in a bit. <laughs> um, so my, my explanation is probably not going to be as good as the rocket scientist. <laughs> I'm not sure. Depends on the day. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> about that, the speed and the... Uh, power that you need to escape the Mm -hmm. gravitational pull of a much larger mass. 
Yep. And then rocket science is a perfect example of what you're describing is exactly right. Mm -hmm. You have to actually have the power to do that. And there's Mm -hmm. issues of how much you have weighing on you to be able to escape. It's a very interesting way. I've never thought of that, actually. I had never put this together, but (laughs) it's truly about your own ability to power beyond the gravitational pull. I mean, it's hard not to want to just fit into the middle. And don't we all aim for that when we're younger, particularly because it seems safe there. It seems safe there. And and freeing ourselves from that is very, very difficult and often painful for us to go through that process. Yeah, that that leads to something in there. I mean, and I'll come back to Stacey. I mean, you know, there's so much we can cover about you, but you might have had to escape various forms of I'll say more, it would appear, I'm going to say appear more psychological pain, but, um, you know, there's many parts to your identity that, you know, if we were in a wonderful society would value all of those parts and all of those groups, but sadly, utopia doesn't always exist. No, and even within those groups, I, you know, don't always get along with people <laughs> that are within them. It's we're, we're all still human, even if we identify with other people for this a specific label. So um, I'm intersex. I um, present, I would say generally to people as female, except I could grow a full lady beard and I have considered it. I've, I'm a fangirl of the lady beard movement. A lot of beautiful beautiful women out there rocking their beards. I think it's awesome. Um, I am not able to bear children. I can physically grow a child, but I cannot actually get a child out of myself besides being uh, cesarean. So um, it does present challenges because um, that wasn't fully understood by my doctors when I did have a child and I suffered for 40 hours Trying wow. to explain to them that it wasn't going to work. So, yeah, you'd be surprised that even in medical care, you know, it's a constant struggle for all of us, transgender, intersex, mm-hmm. whatever, that we can say it over and over and being crying in pain and they just don't hear it because they look at us as an other. And yes. even as women, you know, we know that well, women, true. she's, you know, being a female in any capacity, you're always um, testing for drugs isn't even, you know, tried on women. It's all the results are done for guys. Yeah. Well, you know, you've hit, you've you've touched on something there and we all know, I mean, we saw a couple of months ago the um, report um, put out by Lucille Kerr mm. on trans in the medical system and the, well, horrible stories that came out there. Kian, um, you know, sort of what are the ups and downs of the various parts of the whole, sorry, Kian, the um, ups and downs of the whole person that is Kian? Yeah, so healthcare is especially an interesting topic for me. I have hyperflexible Ehlers-Denlos syndrome, which yep. is a disability that affects my connective tissue. So my connective tissue, which is basically like the glue that holds the body together, is too loose. So the way it was described to me when I was diagnosed, basically it should be like rubber. There's a little bit of tension, like you can pull it, but it pulls back very quickly. It doesn't stretch very far. Whereas people with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, it's more like elastic and it doesn't have that same strength that rubber does. So it causes a lot of issues with that. So I see a lot of doctors and a fair bit of time in hospitals and it's always very different the way that I'm treated. Um, I've had experiences being treated as both male and female in different settings and I have witnessed firsthand the difference in that healthcare that you receive. I'm sorry to hear that too. I have a friend struggling with that and I know it's very painful and that must really, does it inhibit your ability 
when you're trying to write and, and function mentally? Because the stress of that must be just overwhelming. I mean, how do you calm yourself through that process? Yeah, it does affect my writing quite a lot at the moment, um, especially because I'm on so many different medications. So I've got a week planner for meds, and it, they're, they're big, big, um, like tubes for each day, and they are full of medication. <laughs> yeah. And um, some of them cause all this drowsiness and memory problems and brain fog, and I get, I, I guess it's just so hard to actually write at the moment. And I think one of the hardest things is then feeling frustrated about not writing enough. <laughs> and then I forget when I have exactly. actually written. Mm. And so I don't feel satisfied like I've written anything because it's sort of just passed in a blur and I haven't really noticed being productive. Yeah, no, that, which is, a, you know, it's challenging enough trying to write stuff, said the person who needs to start um, putting together the material for a certain midsummer show in mid-January. Um, <laughs> it's in my head. I promised you um, people have already bought tickets. But um, seriously, <laughs> when you've got the extra things, distraction of pain or um, mm. anxiety in, in the mental health terms or whatever it is for anyone. You and know, the medication got... effects. I mean, look, that's mm. massive. My partner has multiple sclerosis. Yep. She mm. has for 25 years. The medicines in the last 10 years are better, but... Um, unfortunately, the damage was done in the first 20 mm. so years. So you may not see, she's one of those people that doesn't look disabled. And I'll tell you, you know, uh, going out into the world with someone who her, her abilities can be affected because the damage to the brain is already there in a way where her emotional state may be much more to the surface. And of course, being triggered by people assuming that she's fine because she looks fine, as with you, I'm sure is the case. That is, I'm sorry to hear that. And I, I empathize with you it's a struggle she has to go to the hospital once a month to go on a drip for two hours you know just to function it's yeah. scary to imagine what would happen if she didn't have that yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to mention out of that, just not going too far off track. I was reminded when you mentioned that early medications in a certain field were not great. And of course, today mm. is World AIDS Day. And some oh. of the first HIV prevention medications, mm. you know, had some pretty bad side effects. And we do want to honour those we've lost because it did affect, um, well, primarily cisgender, gay and bisexual men. But of course, it can affect Anyone and trans people often have not been counted or included accurately in HIV research and statistics. But um, Tuesday is World Disability Day. And, um, Yay. you know, there's, um, I do want to mention there's um, 12 hours of um, programming of black, indigenous, and people of colour people with disabilities from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. But there's um, lots of, um, there sort of seems to be crossovers going yeah, everywhere here. Yeah, it's so uh, intersectional. It's great. Well, that's the thing which you've touched on. We are, you know, for all the, you know, yes, we might, I often say we're all human. We're just trying to live our lives as best as we can and get to that point. But we're just all taking different paths to get there because of who we are. And there's just so much crossing over. Um and we yeah, don't plateau. I think there's still this fantasy, and especially with people who are younger, pardon me for, I'm not being ageist, I'm just admitting I'm 50, um, <laughs> that, you know, we kind of forget sometimes that um, there's no goal, you, you know, where there's no stopping. You never get, you don't, nobody gets to a point where they've figured it all out and they feel settled. And if you do, then you're boring because you should be pushing your boundaries as a human. I don't care who you are. As long as you're alive... 
what what is the point of being here if you're not trying to, in my opinion, serve others with your skills and your talents and your time and your ears and your love? Yeah. Why keep doing something if you're not looking to improve it as well? Yes. Absolutely. Could, I'm curious to know more about your TV show. I, I, I've yeah. spoken enough. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, go yeah, for it, Kate. Sure. Um, so at the moment, it's still very early stages. So we're uh, um, getting ready to start seeking funding for it, but we're not quite there yet. Um, but it's about a group of trans people living in Melbourne, and one of them bumps into someone that she knew before she transitioned. Mm-hmm. And she ends up dating him. And it causes these unexpected ripples throughout her trans family. Um, yeah, it's about those relationships, how they fall apart, how they rebuild, what makes love, what is love, all these different sorts of strong themes uh, within every community. But I think, I don't know, in my experience, they sort of are more in the surface in trans communities because they're often much more damage like there's a lot more hurt Mm. in those communities around love and acceptance i find that in the intersex community as well actually that there's so much damage often Mm. especially with people who have gone through surgeries when they were infants that were unnecessary we understand Mm -hmm. some are necessary but many are not and they're not even explained the doctors are not on board and the trauma unfortunately affects people as adults in a way where in my experience in the intersex community, there's beautiful people. All of them are beautiful. But there's so much trauma that they are advocating for themselves out of a place of trauma. And it's often quite difficult for them to work together, even on radio. I've seen it um, because they sort of feel very protective need for self-protection and it kind of creates almost a competition in a way that's unintended where um, they're all trying to be helpful but they don't agree on how and it kind of blows up so yeah well well absolutely so that people in groups that um, you know potentially and actually face negativity just for being who they are you know, every day since infancy often for, yeah. yeah and particularly for intersex you know who have you know say within seven days had a horrendous surgery which oh. i just I, I mean any surgery can be you know challenging enough at the best of times a seven day old infant that has a surgery didn't need it and uninformed parents who then are going to be carrying the guilt of that as they become more aware and then because in seven days you're not going to have someone rock up and tell you what your options are you're looking at a doctor you're not looking at an advocate well yeah they're, they're, you know this is so to the core of intersex but i think in terms of the trauma you know it does come out on each other and it and it's you know it's bad that that happens but it obviously has you know, we do unfortunately end up pushing each other down. Whereas perhaps if we, as you said, if we can grow, imagine if we all just grew 1%, mm. 5%, 10%, but, but perhaps I'm going to say if the people with more privilege grew their 1%, it might carry more weight. Right. And, and sometimes also there's such a focus, and I, I am such a scientist in the sense that my mind is always looking, you know, cite, give me a citation, give me an article that I can read that's in a published journal that's been peer-reviewed. And that's great. And I think part of the problem is is that often the people who are really academic um, might not be real good at marketing and strategy because yeah. they, they, so they try to be everything and it actually backfires because they go after approaches that really might not be the most efficient. For example, depending on who's in power politically, might not be the right time to try to push certain agendas or perhaps the right level of politics or what, you know, 
you got to think really carefully because once you've had your shot at promoting what you're doing in any community, that's often the one you get, you know, and you have to start from square one and find someone else to advocate if it doesn't work. Yeah, very, very true. Um, Ken, um, you know, I'm, now, I, I obviously I became aware of you through some work declaring my interest in transgender Victoria, which hopefully will be public very soon. The website just being with the supporting resources being finalised, and um, you know, sort of you faced, you know, you've touched already on, you know, the multiple parts of you, and I suppose the thought came to mind that what would you like people in, say, positions of influence, whether it's health professionals, academics, politicians, to know what would have made your journey easier and get it a bit closer to utopia in that way? Um, so many things. That, um, um, yeah, giving in mind that we've only I got think, half the program left. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is that people aren't one thing. Mm, and that's yeah. everyone not a single person will only tick a single box. And I think I've struggled personally quite a lot having to convince people that I am able to be in these different boxes, that I have this disability, and this disability already ticks a lot of boxes. Like, it has a whole bunch of different comorbidities, things that it causes. Um, yeah. and, and I'm also non-binary, I'm gender fluid, like there's all of these different things at play. I have ADHD, like there's a lot. And trying I to do too, by the way, if it makes you feel all better. Of that. Yeah. <laughs> and just I... trying to have spaces for all of that is incredibly hard. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, finding a health professional who you don't have to be the you know, the, well, the the reverse learning curve on one thing, the sort of, mm. you they might say have a good grasp of trans and gender diverse, but um, you've got a particular disability. Oh, tell me about that. I don't know. Thank you. Pay, pay me $80 on the way out. Right. And being our own advocate, I mean, we all know how well that generally turns out. You know, it's, you're coming oh, yeah, from such a personal space. Doctors. Yeah. Especially with doctors, they do not like being told anything. Mm. Yeah, well, that that was one of the factors, of course, with intersex that it was worth mentioning mm. is the the medical arrogance factor, mm, as that's I call right. it. And you know, we of course, you know, having you know the I call it the intersex awareness period from late October through to early November, still a factor that you know um, Tony Briffer was on queering the air. Oh, the Tony's other, incredible, an absolute pioneer, and mentioned um, that I was staggered that the surgeons won't even hand over the number of um, operations they're doing to the Victorian state government. Um, where, that Tony was on queering the air earlier this year, talking about that three till four pm Sundays Beautiful. on three CR, and I was just blown away that they could even be that arrogant. I mean, that's just pushing it. And you know, to me, it's just how do you communicate with people who won't listen? <laughs> is right, the question and, and then asked. also these people have been traumatized, and they're also trying to be their own advocates. It's very complicated because it is personal, yeah, whether you like it or not. You know, so Tony is. I've only met Tony once, and he's just mind-blowingly talented. Um, a perfect example of somebody who can kind of bridge across a variety of different skill sets that's needed. Um, first, may, first intersex mayor in the world, I believe. Absolutely, so, and still on the council. Says for quite a Bay. lot. Says quite a lot about skill sets there, and just wanted to mention about that too. That when it comes to being intersex, part of the dilemma of it is that we often kind of get put into the, well, we know why we've been put into the LBGTQI plus community, but we also, we often don't really have a lot of 
space there. It's a lot of us, many of us are straight. I'm not, but, you know, consider ourselves fairly normal straight people and try to hide in that normal mm. straight space. There, there's no judgment on that. What I'm suggesting is that it sometimes uh, isolates us because we are not as obviously gay, for lack of a better term, quote unquote. We're not queer enough. We can present quite normally and people would never assume there's a lot of struggle there yeah. to do that. Well, well, very, very true. And, um, you know, that um, Kian, I mean, you know, what sort of, um, you know, sort of ups and downs and non-binary in-betweens do you face in relation to those sorts of things where perhaps you can just present as the, in inverted commas, average everyday person, but d underneath there's something that's very, very different? Yeah, um, so for me, I think, like, there's a bit of a struggle with that imposter syndrome where mm. you don't feel like you're queer enough for these spaces, um, especially if I am presenting them. But then if I'm presenting that, um, a lot of people will, even in queer spaces, still assume femininity from me, mm -hmm. um, which is, I suppose, a bit odd for me when a few years ago I was living full-time as male um, on testosterone and being, like, quite well this uh, male passing. And then, yeah, I sort of switched back to very female assumed in a lot of spaces, and it's, yeah, quite uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah. We've had an SMS come in um, from one of our long-time listeners, Roving Reporter, um, and um, quote-unquote, great discussion, Sally. Um, an exception to the rule is Waleed Ali on television as an academic, end quote. And Agreed. a very positive exception. And I think that's really important when we can get people like that in there, Waleed. And, and they exist. There's no doubt about that, certainly. Yeah, yes. Stan Grant, those sorts of things. I was going to ask then, led me to, th to think, you know, one of those novel 1980s management concepts that's making <laughs> a comeback. But um, have there been, you know, role models, mentors, and I'll be cautious, but I will use the word inspirations. Um, Ken, do you want to hop in there? Has there been people you've looked up to and gone, oh, wow you know, in any part of your life. And I don't mean, you know, in terms of disability trans, but it could be, but anything really. Who has stood out for you? Um, oh, I think this is a difficult question for me. Um, partly due to memory issues from the ADHD and also medication. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I certainly have been a lot of people who have been inspiring to me, Um early trans women, especially trans women of colour who have stood out and demanded that acceptance when there was none. Um, Levan Cox, for example, who, mm -hmm. you know, very um, in the sort of media eye and very outspoken as a trans woman. And, yeah, there's certainly been a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm really bad with names, and I can't remember. It was someone who was elected to the council of a large American city, a, a trans woman of colour. But her famous quote is, "We don't just want to sit at the table. Um, we don't just want to um, 
be at the table, we want to um, set the table or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are, it is important to have those people to look up to. Um, Stacey, um, anyone for yourself? Look, obviously, or maybe not obviously, I have an American accent. I've lived in Australia for about 14 years and um, love it here. I have, you know, issues here as I would in the States. We, we have similar cultural backgrounds, I guess, in a lot of ways. And we treated um, our Native Americans. If you follow the track of what happened to the Aboriginals, it's almost identical to the track of what happened to Native Americans. I've got a Native American background. I used to live and work on the and Navajo and Hopi reservations, fully aware of uh, – I met a transgender woman there. Uh, in the middle of the desert on the Hopi Reservation, um, hiding away in a back room of a, essentially an adobe hut with um, sewing beautiful dresses, beautiful costumes, quietly going about her business and fully out to the community. So it's interesting that in places where you might assume non-acceptance that, in fact, you know, uh, people of color often are more accepting because they're used to being bashed on. And I don't mean just physically. I'm talking mm. about in general that they don't care as much about what you are there for. They sit down, you know, have some food, have something to drink. You're part of the family. And I wish that we would take a lesson, especially from black communities, where the understanding that you're welcome first. And, you know, if you do the right thing, you will stay Stay welcome. If you mistreat us, you will not stay welcome. We as- we tend to assume that people are outsiders first, and I'm saying that, you know, uh, as sort of a white person, that we tend to like to have our barriers and our personal space and three mm. feet between us and someone in an elevator. You know, someone walks in that scares us a little, so we go to the other side. I don't feel. I feel that there's, especially with women of color, a, such an incredible strength with what they have to tolerate and cope with, and particularly in countries that don't accept the concept of basic socialism, like the right to, you know, health, the right to a home, all of that stuff. Uh, We're lucky in Australia that we still have the tailing remnants of what I experienced 14 years ago, which has primarily been dismantled as I'm watching it happen. Mm. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, in the U.S., you don't even health care. I mean, that's not assumed to be a right at all. There's no way to really deal with the stuff they do with no money. So we're still privileged here in comparison. But, um, yeah, I don't have anybody in particular that I look at and say, wow, I always wanted to be that person, or I really always felt like they were some some way representing my inner spirit. More so, it's the concept of groups of people, and I relate to their suffering, not because I want to be a, a suffering queen and wear a big crown and say, look how awful things are. Quite the opposite. And it's not about cherry coating and ignoring the suffering. Mm. That's not the goal either. It's about actually acknowledging that it's there. And it's so hard to do that in, in the technical spaces I work because you're not allowed to be emotional and human. And that's coming out of the white patriarchy that we unfortunately mm. live in. So that aside, my answer is I don't have a particular person. But of course, you know, as I travel, it's individuals that I've met who change. It's it's my personal interaction that changes me. So I admire my friends and I get rid of friends who I consider 
treading the fascist line. I don't tolerate bigotry, that, that, that paradox, right? Where you've got to be intolerant of intolerance. You have to be intolerant of intolerance. Otherwise, you end up in a situation where the intolerant people are ruling the people who don't want the intolerance. So it's a paradox. But in fact, that's, it's, it's true. It's true with Jewish people as well in anti-Semitism. You can't tolerate white supremacy. It's just not on, you know? Yep. So very, very, very true. And, um, you know, but I could say hashtag um, intentional sarcasm, but it's their individual freedom to be intolerant. And then we'll just throw that out. Yes, you're welcome to, but not on my Facebook page, darlings. Absolutely. <laughs> and just I did manage to track down Andrea Jenkins was elected to Minneapolis City oh, Council beautiful. in 2017 and out. Quote, as an out African-American or trans-identified woman, I know firsthand the feelings of being marginalised, left out, thrown under the bus. These days are over. We don't just want a seat at the table. We want to set the table, end quote, which is damn awesome um, and very um, awesome. Um, Keenan, I'm coming back to you. Um, and um, gosh, there's so much we could cover. Um, and... And I'll just throw it out. I might do a more open question. Is there anything about your story that we haven't covered thus far um, that you want to get across? And any thought, any thoughts generally? I'll just um, do the the open sort of um, you know sort of um, go for it sort of moment of the show. Um, sure. If I can be a bit overly open at the moment, I think one thing that I'm really coming to terms with lately is progress that I've made with my transition that has nothing to do with my gender. It has yeah. to do with how I treat other people. Oh, wow. Go for it. Um, so when I uh, first encountered trans as meaning anything more than a cis man in a dress, which was all I'd seen in the media up until that mm -hmm. point, <laughs> I was dating someone who came out as a trans man. Uh -huh. And I was awful to him. Mm. Um, I didn't mean to be. I wanted to be accepting, but he didn't want to medically transition and I could not understand that. I just could not wrap my head around knowing that this was possible and not wanting it. And that was on me, but I put that on him. And there have been a lot of times like that in my life where I was uncomfortable and I shifted that discomfort onto someone else. And I think that's something that a lot of people end up doing. And it's about moving beyond that and learning to not do that, recognising it and not continuing this harm and this pain that people cause to each other. Yeah. And you have to, you actually have to forgive yourself at yeah. some stage for that. It's, Boy, you know, the problem is that humans start out with this, you know, whether you think they're, they're tabla rasa and have, you know, of course there's genetics at play, but we, we're growing in this society and, and we all are making those mistakes, even as wildly intersectional people. We had to process that ourselves. And obviously, I would imagine, and tell me if I'm wrong, like you were coming to terms with something inside of you, you know, that was really... I wasn't even coming to terms with it at that point. Wow. I kept putting it on this partner because I wanted to be able to do this, but I wasn't trans, so I couldn't. <laughs> right. And it wasn't until the mm. second time that I was looking up male names that I would use if I were trans oh, wow. that I finally accepted wow. that none of it was about my partner. 
that I was trans, that there was actually something else going on. Yeah, look, I think there's a couple of things that can happen. Um, as far as I'm aware, every human past, all seven billion on the present, um, on the planet in the present, and whoever's coming in the future will make mistakes. Welcome to being human. <laughs> the wise humans can, I, I always say something like, admit them, fix them, learn from them, try to prevent making the same mistake again. Give yourself more choices for the future. So I think that, you know, the things that happened. Um, can happen. But I think what I see sometimes in our communities, or I'll say where the central focus of the intersection is, I'll say rainbow, that um, people can, you know, it can trigger something when they see someone who's perhaps more being themselves and they don't feel they can at that time, that um, there can be all sorts of emotions that come up. I've been thinking about this. I can see some while there are plenty of older and middle cohort trans women, for example, who see younger tra or trans people who see younger trans and gender diverse people and go, wow, this means we're progressing. There are some who, you know, say that make the remarks like, oh, how would you know? And it's a sort of internalized prejudice. And I think that can happen a bit that and this can happen across, say, LGBT, where there might be, say, lesbians and gays who deep down really identify as multigender attracted and whatever label they're in and perhaps take out their internalised biphobia on bi people. I agree with you. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things in there, and it can be really frustrating um, when you're on the receiving end of the negativity um, from from your own. Um, and Sometimes intersectionality feels like a smaller and smaller box to live in, doesn't it? Like it, that yeah. when you have so many things going on that you're trying to sort of be... And, and encapsulate within yourself and then express in whatever way you're expressing it, whether through writing or your looks or whatever you're doing, surgery, not surgery, whatever it is. I think that in our minds, when we start to try to unwrap, like you mentioned, you, you have a disability and I'm using that term because my partner uses that term. Um, you can call it, some people don't like that term, but I'm just Mm -hmm. acknowledging that um and you might be of color and you might be transgender and you might be in inter i know a transgender and intersex person there are lots of ways to do it and the problem is that our brains our sort of monkey minds in the back there tend to keep trying to protect that as because it feels like a space to be attacked so the more intersectional you are it feels like you've got more targets on you almost and it can often close you in to a very scary small place when you're feeling low. And that's part of what I do with rocketry is just trying to get people out into the sunshine and launch something into the sky that they never thought they could do. And they can because it's sandpaper, hot glue and tying knots. Yeah. For an amateur rocket, so I love the pun. By the way, launching. Yeah, it is true, and it does. It literally, it it change. I have seen. I have worked with housewives who were losing their marriage, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but they would come and build a rocket. There's one person in particular I'm speaking of in the they, um, but I've worked with many, and it completely changed their marriage because their their husband and two sons who had no connection to them wanted to be them launching the rocket. And when it went up, they were fighting about whose rocket it was. And it was just the fact their mother did something out of character that actually brought them back together as a family. And she's like, you would not believe how different my kids are towards me because they respect me now because I did something they want to do. Yep. So it's providing opportunity to let that go. Yeah, and build, you know, build, give one a person a start. 
um, you know, just be a battery cable um, and let them charge their own batteries. And now that mum has charged the whole family, which is awesome. Yeah, and so we do that for, like I mentioned to you earlier, my first class was with University of Melbourne Robo Gals, and it was specifically, it was the first one I did in Melbourne, not the first ever, but the first year about five years ago. And it, I specifically wanted to do it for women and daughters because I was trying out as a sandbox many ideas. And in that class, I had a transgender girl, and her mother uh, is a lesbian. And we never, of course, brought it up. It was a non-issue. But um, we always find, I always find space, no matter where you're at, to include you. It's never meant to be exclusive to anyone. But sometimes I've found that allowing people that are marginalized, and in the case of technology, that's often women, um, just to be around women can be very empowering because they allow themselves the freedom to try things they wouldn't if a man was in the room. Yeah. So there's sort of a – it's kind of an interesting balance to deal with, you know, because it's – how do you do that? You know, you don't want to exclude people at the same time. You sort of have to find ways to make that happen. Yeah, it's affirmative action. Um, Ken, you know, I'm, I'm with that. Um, it brings up the idea of what, which goes further than safe spaces, but it's also what I call warm spaces. Oh, nice. And, you know, I've nice. felt this at times. Um, one, another thing that's happening at the moment, I'll play a message um, shortly just while we have a break, um, is the Tilda, the Trans and Gender Diverse Film Festival is running at the moment. I've felt that there. Um, yeah, sometimes there is that sort of, as someone who feels energies a lot, um, I can feel a warm space and I've had it in other things as well. And I was going to ask you, Ken, have you had, you know, can you think, um, you know, I acknowledge that memory can be hazy, but has there been anything that's remotely stuck where you've been in what I'll call a warm space, you know, or I'll say in a nice way, even a hot space? Um, so it's me right now, I think is probably the warmest space. I'm living with my sister in Wangaratta, Um And country towns might sort of seem hostile to trans people, but quite often because there are so few people around, they're sort of trapped in these micro spaces where there's less transphobia. You get less of it because the consequences are greater. You are not anonymous. You cannot just say a nasty comment to someone and think that's going to slide because everyone is going to know that you were hurling abuse at a random on the street. Like, it's, you don't get away with that sort of hatred. And so, yeah, it sort of ends up being safe in that sense. And then my sister and I are both queer. Um, she's cis, but she's very open about gender and very currently sort of exploring her own as well and what her relationship with her gender is. Um, and then our mum got us two rainbow doormats for the front door and the back door. So we've got Aww. this very warmth going on here. Um, a lot of families sort of coming together, even though it is just me and one of my three siblings. It's just, it feels very much like home and very warm. Which is cool. And you've hit on a point there that country towns, um, you know, we sometimes hear only the negative side, that it is this, oh, it's all, you know, very middle class sort of, well, you know, that um, white sort of, etc. But I think there is a sense of community that can lead to a good, I'll say, positive protective element in country towns, which I think is something that maybe we could tap into. Just also, before I come back to you, Stacey, um, just want to do, I've had a few messages. Um, Kayleen has um, 
um, and said a couple of things is the conversation website where academics work with journos relevant to what some of the guests have been discussing. I think the conversation does good stuff. And also, um, as Caitlin said, great comments on being human, <laughs> which is very awesome. And coming back to um, the um, SMS line, um, I, I didn't catch the, um, didn't scroll down enough to get to the second part of um, Roving Reporter's comment, um, Ree Wallet. He's a smart celebrity and they have progressive stories on the project, even if it can be well shallow sometimes. I think it's a bit of a light and shade thing. I think they do news well. But also, here's a good one that's positive. There was a gala at the National Gallery of Victoria last night, which I did see a bit on the news, and and there was, according to Rove, Rove a great a local trans Melbourne model was there, which Beautiful. is pretty awesome. See, that's what we need, where we just talk about representation across the length, depth, and breadth of society. So it's yeah, normal. We're here. We're already and doing it. Yes, yeah, that's <laughs> sort of casual representation as well, where you don't have to exist solely within a trans space or as a trans person or as an intersex person or like you can just be in a space and also be that. All right. I'm going to get people to just um, hang on for a second, Ken. I'm just going to pop you on hold and then want to come back, just do a few announcements, and then we'll do a summary, wrap it up, and I'll leave you both to just think about a a take-home quote from the day, which could be the whole show, but I'll see if you can want to just have a few last points. So hang on, Ken, and do a couple of messages, then come back and wrap up because we'd better start getting ready for Freedom of Species at 1 o'clock. It's been an amazing conversation on um, with Stacey and Ken on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand with Sally and guests. Tilda is one of only a handful of trans and gender diverse film festivals in the world and is returning to Footscray Community Arts Centre from Thursday the 28th of November to the following Sunday. Tilda showcases the works of TGD filmmakers and artists and films that have TGD content for TGD people, allies and the wider community. Check out the full program and get tickets at tildemelbourne.com. That's T-I-L-D-E melbourne.com, a 3CR supporter. Tune in to Power from the Margins, 3CR's broadcast for International Day of People with Disability on 3rd of December. From 7am to 7pm, we'll feature BIPOC perspectives, live music, artists and discussions. For details, visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2019. Absolutely. Uh, 3CR 855M, 3CR Digital, 3CR.org.au, 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan with Sally and guests Stacey and Kean. And yeah, the full schedule for um, the Disability Day broadcast from 7am to 7pm Tuesday is um, right now on 3CR's website. Um, there's um, talking about race and disabled politics on from 7 to 8.30 on Tuesday breakfast. Um, a migrant person of colour um, from disabled parent or, and a parent of a child with Down syndrome 
um, what happens at nine, at nine o'clock, what happens when your disability isn't recognised by the state. Just a few. There's a special Koori survival show um, with Ke- Kerry Lee Harding, disabilities as an Aboriginal woman. I'm just, just random sampling here. But check out the whole caboodle all the way through to um, right at the end, ableism across borders. Australia's immigration system has been both racist and ableist, amongst other things. So lots of great discussion there. And of course, once again, today is World AIDS Day and again, acknowledging those we have lost. But we also heard the Tilda Film Festival is on a great warm space. There's a lot coming up um, in the next few weeks. And of course, the Midsummer Program is now out um, with lots of... um, you know, sort of um, great great stuff on. I'll try to run through that in the next few weeks before um, knocking off on holidays, um, um, which I will do in late December. And a few more messages in from Kayleen, if I can just dig those up. Um, yeah, who likes the term warm spaces? I think, I think we need those. You know, safe is all very well. And in an ideal world, we would be safe everywhere. But sadly, sometimes we're not. So lots of things um, happening um, around the community that um, you know give us that um, give us that so I've rambled for a few minutes um, well actually not given lots of great information on so much happening oh and well one thing which I think has turned out to be good news and that is the religious um, discrimination oh, bill oh thank god let's hope that dies peacefully and by itself in a corner somewhere yeah. how awful delayed till next year and I cannot <sighs> believe forever. that some um, <laughs> Faith, you know, some people of faith say it doesn't go far enough. Heavens to Betsy. My God. Um, so let's hope we can now rally around and make sure that we, as you say, you know, sort of um, put it six foot under once and for all. <laughs> yes, please. All right. Um, let's see. Does anyone have any final thoughts um, um, on everything we've been talking about? Any you know, key thoughts, um, you know, closing remarks? Kian, would you like to yeah. go first? Oh, oh, we forgot to put Keon on. I forgot to put Keon back on. I wondered. I was like, so quiet. Hello. Um, having a, a, brief, a brief breakdown of alleged feminine multitasking there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, And the trans model was, of course, the fantastic Andrea Pajic, who's done, has just been such an awesome Beautiful. role model in terms of gender generally. But Keon, let's try that again. Any um, thoughts to wrap up um, the show with today? Yeah, um, I'd just like to sort of reiterate what Stacey sort of said in her opening comments about not being just a silent advocate, about creating those spaces and sort of fighting to actually, yeah, make those changes. I think that was really powerful. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Stacey. Um, I'll just leave it simply that if people out there, and I work with many different government libraries, schools, you name it. If anybody out there is interested, it's not just rocket science. We're actually doing um, blacksmithing foundry work. We do uh, robotics, all sorts of different things. We actually do low tech and high tech. It's our focus, both high and low. We don't do the middle. We do high and low. So if anybody's interested, just to let you know that I have a a page that's uh, actually a group, not a page on Facebook, called Explosive Crafts. And the intent of it is to – I volunteer. I go out and try to help you do this on a shoestring budget for materials. If anybody is interested in having someone come in and and create some intriguing 
uh, thought work and production of some brand new ways of expressing yourself through science, technology, engineering, and mathematics brought down to the level of craft, come find me and drop me a note. I'm happy to talk to you. I'd love to. All right. Um, Ken, anything apart from your film um, that, you know, um, you know, that you want to mention actually as well and um, we'll probably, I'd like to chat with you sort of down the track off air about, about that, um, you know, see what um, might, might come out of that. Please stay in touch with us if you decide maybe you might want to crowdfund, um, for example, but anything yeah. that you wanted to mention as well. Um, well, the other major thing I'm doing at the moment is working on my first novel. Ooh, congratulations. Young adult modern fantasy in regional Victoria. Wow. All right. Well, we'll look um, forward to that. Do you have a working title or is it a secret? Uh, the working title at the moment is Are We Monsters? Nice. <laughs> like it. Well, when that is ready, um, um, well, certainly come and talk to us, but talk to us before if there's anything we can do. Look, you know, there's just so much, but um, we're out of time. We have to make way for um, Freedom of Species, Talking All Things Animal Advocacy. Stacey and Ken, it's been an absolute joy to have you both on the show. And I, oh. I don't know, somehow you, I just feel like you two have got to connect more than on We are going to do that. I was already going, uh, yeah, I'll find you on Facebook, <laughs> give you a call. Yeah, we'll talk for sure. Yeah. Um, which is just awesome as well. Especially if you're into doing science fiction type novels. I think that's great. Mm. Yep. Yeah. And just a couple more messages coming in. Yeah. Um, Andrea Pajic, um being the trans model. Um, thanks, um, Roving Reporter, for all your comments today. And I've got to go back to an email from last week which I missed um, and that follows on from previous conversations where Katie has um, expressed her concerns about um, the attempts to try to divide the rainbow community with the so-called LGB alliance yep um, and of course you know they'll try to knock over trans and then you mm. know, come after by but um, what I've found from today's conversations is that you know, we've got people here sticking together. It's really not that hard. I'll just leave you with one thought. Leadership, which you touched on, leadership is about growth um, and growing yourself and growing the strength of others. And my thought, therefore, is if conservatism is about staying the same, can conservatism be leadership? Ooh. Point taken. <laughs> and on that note, we'll take it out today <laughs> with Ian Thank Moss. You, Sally. Um, the first track from his well, his self-titled album of 2018 in the music Australian music for 40 odd years, and finally puts out an album which I've got to say as a solo album really is Ian Moss, not cold chisel guitarist or anything else. Talk about authenticity; it just comes right through. So let's have a listen to "If Another Day." Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan, everyone. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week.
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.